Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Why the Web Won't Be Nirvana. This was the title of a 1995 Newsweek magazine article predicting the internet would simply be a passing fad, a prediction that has proven to be ever so wrong. According to Statista, as of April 2022, there were 5 billion internet users worldwide. Around the world, the internet continues to transform how we connect with others, organize the flow of things, and share information. With its growing influence on individual consumers and large economies alike, the internet has become an increasingly vital part of our day-to-day lives. And for most of us, it is not possible to imagine a world without it. With the internet now integrated as an essential pillar of modern society, and with its continuous innovation and evolution happening at a faster pace than ever before, the current conversation is both urgent and necessary. Centered around the future of the internet, some of the buzzwords you may have heard circulating include Web3, the metaverse, NFTs, or blockchain. While many of us have some level of familiarity with the words themselves, most of us are still in the beginning stages of trying to make sense of what these words mean, and more importantly, what they mean for us. Today's guest is an author, speaker, teacher, and advisor with four decades of experience specializing in helping people, organizations, and teams reinvent themselves to remain relevant in changing times. He has been named by Business Week as one of the top business leaders for his pioneering innovation, and Time Magazine dubbed him one of five marketing innovators. His newly released and highly acclaimed best-selling book, Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data, is changing companies and changing lives. And his weekly thought letter, The Future Does Not Fit in the Containers of the Past, is read by over 25,000 leaders every week across industries and around the world. Here with us to discuss what we need to know about this new age of the internet and why it matters, as well as his latest thought letter entitled, The Future of the Internet, The Future Does Not Fit in the Containers of the Past, Edition 101, we have our very special guest, Mr. Rashad Tabakawala. This is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Ramses Ja. So welcome to the show, Mr. Tabakawala. How are you doing today? Excellent. Thank you for having me, Ramses. Of course, of course. The, the, the honor is mine. And uh, we are definitely in rare form today. 
uh, all of us around here are very excited for this conversation. So let's let's start. Um, sure. Why not share a bit about yourself, your background, sort of your early interest in in the internet, you know, all those things. Let's bring us. Sure. Uh, you know, very quickly, I grew up in India. I came to, I got a degree in advanced mathematics. I came to the University of Chicago to get an MBA. Mm -hmm. And I began a career at an advertising agency called Leo Burnett. I began there uh, in 1982, so over about 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and in those days, uh, we, I was building the case for why there would be something like cable television. Okay. It was just you know three or four networks, three networks, not even four networks, and it was building the case of cable television. Anyway, I ended up being an account person, uh, ran accounts like PNG and others, and then I found myself very interested in what I thought might be the next thing, and I launched one of the first interactive marketing agencies mm -hmm. in 1996. Uh, which is a long, long time ago. Um, and then in the course of my career, I've done everything from help to, you know, what was Leo Burnett Media become Starcom. <clears throat> uh, Publicis, a big French holding company, bought us. And uh, over the years, I ended up uh, building the case for us to be more data-driven and digital, ended up sharing some of our biggest assets like Digitas and Razorfish, and I was very involved in all the media operations. And for the last five years, I was there as a full-time employee. I was involved working with the management team and running strategy and growth all around the world. And Publicis is about an 87,000-person company. Mm -hmm. And we're the largest media buyer, for instance, in the United States, um, and second largest in the world. Uh, so that was my career number one, um, which was uh, basically built around just an interest on where people and technology and creativity were going. And I started career number two, uh, which has some pieces of career number one about three years ago, where I became a writer, a speaker, and an advisor. Uh, you mentioned my book. You mentioned my Substack and my mm -hmm. writing. Right. I speak all over the world, uh, do all kinds of things like workshops, uh, et cetera. And I advise large companies like publicists, smaller companies, private equity and startups. Um, and I'm now a company of one, a one person employee working for themselves, starving that. artist. <laughs> Hardly. Um, well, the most recent piece that I, that I read um, about you, it was your thought letter. You begin yes. this with an, an overview of the four pivotal dates in the history of the internet that have sort of initiated this connected age as we know it. So let's talk a little bit more about that, what those dates are and their importance in terms of bringing us to where we are today. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, the internet has been around since 19, not the internet, but what is the predecessor to the internet has been around since 1969. Mm -hmm. And that first date is October 29, 1969, when a computer grad student at UCLA sent a message to what was then the Stanford Research Institute and it was a first connection between computer networks, which lasted for a few seconds and then crashed. So <laughs> that date was October 29th, 1969. Sure. Um, the first day that the internet could be called the internet was in January 1, 1983, mm -hmm. when the various computer 
that was connected you know to networks could now connect to each other so it was now a internet versus you know small nets it was an internet and that was built around something called a tcpip protocol so that was the second date which is january 1 1983 the third date which is 6th august 1991 is when a gentleman named tim, tim berners lee in switzerland publishes the first website ever which right. is 6th august 1991 but for all of us and for all your listeners the date that's the most important actually is 30th august 1993 when cern where tim berners lee worked basically put all the software and all the code for the world wide web in the public domain right. starting off the first connected age is what i basically call it mm -hmm. and you know those four days so between 19 you know 69 and 1993 the internet existed as a predecessor to the internet and the internet but it was only when all of us could use it and access it did we actually begin to see the implications right and and that is when we entered what i call the first connected age and and one of the things that people have enjoyed a lot is how I've looked at the last 30 years in three connected ages. Okay. Uh, but the big thing is I've connected those to human needs versus technology alone, right? That's the big difference. Yeah. So what I try to do is I think about humans first, technology second. Mm -hmm. I, I gathered that from your writing. Right. Um, and, you know, speaking of the third connected age that we're now in, we've transitioned yes. through the first and second connected yeah. ages since 93. But now being in the third connected age, along with that comes, you know, as you mentioned, new forms of connections that are going to reorder society, work, and the future. You know, let's talk a little bit more about this third connected age and what we might expect to see. Absolutely. So very quickly, the first connected age was 1993 to 2007. Okay. where human beings connected to transact and connected to discover. We call that search and e-commerce. Mm -hmm. In 2007, we entered the second connected age. And these ages build on each other. They don't replace. So mm -hmm. think of them as a building. So the second connected age, we were connected all the time and connected to everybody. And we were also connected to streaming. And we now call that you know, Netflix, Apple, and Facebook or Meta. Right. Uh, and you can see how that changed society in a great way. A few years ago, building on those, we entered the third connected age. And there are four things in those that are going on right now. Data connecting to data, which is machine learning, okay. uh, which is very powerful. That's the reason why, for instance, you know, Netflix knows what movie you want to watch next if you, before you know it. Mm -hmm. And to a great extent, it allows... Uh, the incredible things like Google Translate. If you say, okay, Google Translate, be my Spanish translator, it can do that. So yeah. that's one. Much faster forms of connection, which we will see because of 5G. Um, and, you know, 5G is going to allow us to download a high-definition movie in seven seconds on our phones, among other things. Uh, the third is new ways of connecting. We've already seen voice as a way of connecting. Um, and we use voice often, you know, hey Siri, hey Google, etc. In the country I grew up in, more people search with voice than they do with keyboard. Sure. And coming soon is augmented okay. reality. I found this on the web for ETC. And, and, and in the country I grew up in. When I said Siri, it started speaking. There you are. <laughs> uh, but um, but one of the, 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 the key things is the new forms of connection, obviously voice, which we've talked about, but augmented reality, 
okay. which is like a heads up display in a car if you have yes. that you know and then virtual reality which today is primarily things like oculus quest 2 all of these are the third one and then the last one is what i call new trust connections we're obviously living in a world where trust is being frayed to a certain extent okay. and going back to my days of math you know there are some things brilliant about mathematics which is it doesn't care who you are it is what it is which sure. is math sure. and yeah. so there's a new thing called blockchain which is basically building under the basic belief that code is law so instead of having different people decide what law is mathematical code is law okay. uh, so those are what i call new trust connections so these four things which is new trust connections must faster connections new ways of connecting like voice ar and vr and data connecting to data is creating this brand new world which we are thinking about as web3 among other things mm -hmm. uh, which i am very uh, optimistic about though it'll have its ups and downs and as someone who's seen things over the last 30 years uh or 35 years i try to remind people about that you know just so that we keep everyone with us while we're um, sure. having this conversation there's a lot of technical terms and we and we want to make it as approachable for folks who have not seen the future in the sure. same way that you have let's break down some terms you mentioned web3 the metaverse tokens in your article that i read there was a daos or daos can you provide yeah. sort of straightforward breakdowns for our listeners of what these things are that we keep hearing about not just in this conversation but just kind of in general absolutely absolutely so the four things that a lot of people are hearing about today are web3 mm -hmm. metaverse they hear about tokens primarily nfts okay and then sometimes they hear about daos okay. right and often what people do is they conflate them and they make them people believe they're the same thing so people say web3 metaverse nft all like they're one thing and what i try to do which i'm about to do right now is explain to everyone that they're four different things okay right they're connected with their four different things so let's start with web3 web3 basically is primarily an ideology okay so think of it as a philosophy mm -hmm. and the underlying philosophy of web3 is web2 which is the world we're living in today has given a significant amount of power to the middle people so the apple store spotify right uh they get 30 40 50% of all the revenue and we who are users so think about yourself let's suppose you use facebook you take your time you take your network you take your data you take your content mm -hmm. and what you get is a few connections and the likes and mark zuckerberg gets billions of dollars Sure. but it's your data your information your everything right, right. so web3 basically says that is wrong we have these new technologies that should allow you and me to have more control over the future and that basically is it we should and that the philosophy of web3 is three words decentralized so there shouldn't be a central thing okay right it there should basically be open and it should be composable like lego pieces a very simple example to give you that is for your um, for your listeners to go to a place called royal.io so royal.io mm -hmm. or go to autograph.io but royal.io is a very interesting thing this is where musicians like nas and others have decided that you know when they put their music up on spotify 
they basically get approximately 12 cents out of every dollar, which doesn't make any sense. So now they're basically creating tokens where you as their fans can buy some of their future streaming rights. And you as a fan, if their song sells more, you actually get revenue. Plus you get invitations, you know, to special concerts, et cetera. Mm. Uh, Similarly, a lot of athletes, right, from LeBron James to Tiger Woods are doing the same thing in a place called autograph.io. So a lot of it is, look, I am the talent or I am the fan. Why can't the talent and fan have more of the rights than someone in between? That's what Web3 is, right? So that's one. The second one is metaverse. And metaverse really is two things. It's augmented reality, which is how do you basically have a digital overlay to the real world? So you can look through your phone and get some information about a flower. And virtual reality, which is how do you create some sort of physical presence in the virtual world? That's something like Oculus Quest, et cetera. Why that is important from a human perspective is in those worlds, we can now especially create new identities. And if you think about gaming as an early indicator of what a metaverse might look like, that industry is $150 billion. It's bigger than a lot of the other industries combined, music, movies, et cetera. But that allows people to have different identities. They go in with avatars, et cetera. And Mm -hmm. human beings... You know, at some particular stage, we are more than one people. We are many different personalities depending on our mood and our preferences. Sure. And what the metaverse allows us, it's going to basically allow us not to be limited to our physical bodies, if that makes sense, in its extreme form. Right. So that's the metaverse. The third one really happens to be tokens. And tokens are basically today, the best way of thinking about it is if you have an airline mile, it's the equivalent of a token. What it is, it's a form of currency. You can sell it or use things for an airline mile. If you have lots of it, you have status, platinum status, et cetera. It feels like being a membership, right? And similarly, tokens give people rights. They give them rights to vote. They give them rights to own, et cetera. And NFTs are one type of token, which is called a non-fungible token, which is that artists can basically say, here's my piece of work. I have now put it on the blockchain. You can own this piece of work. And by the way, I have put a contract into it that as the work appreciates and you go sell it to someone else, I still get 10% of it, but you have other rights to it. So that's what NFT says. And DAOs are really called decentralized autonomous organizations, which allows people to have a more, what I would say, united way of trying to decide what something happens. So think of it like a social media group with voting rights and the currency. So those are the four things that are connected to each other. And the big thing about the future is it will increasingly be owned more by you and me. So that's the Web3 philosophy. It will be operated utilizing new new software that crosses the virtual and the real worlds. It'll be orchestrated using things like tokens, which will be sort of a currency, and it will be organized using DAOs. So that's what I try to explain that these four things are different. And then I give examples of how people can go to, like, say, Royal.io to mm-hmm. see what Web3 looks like. You know, they can go to something like Decentraland today for free to see what potentially the metaverse might look like. Ideally, they can sample an Oculus Quest too. We are here today with acclaimed author, speaker, teacher, and advisor, Mr. Rashad Tabakawala, discussing his latest thought letter entitled The Future of the Internet, what we need to know about this new age of the internet and why it matters. You know, there's something that I want to make 
a little bit clear for folks who might not be able to follow at least one part of this. And then I, I have another question for you. Sure. I am not uh, a big gamer, right? And yep. I know that we're talking about something much greater than gaming, but you right. mentioned $155 billion industry. So that's yep. obviously something we need to pay attention to. I'm not a gamer. I, I can't watch the screens because I get motion sickness, right? So historically, I've never been able to play, but I have two sons and they love games. Um, the reason I bring this up is because you mentioned Oculus and there is a very popular game called Sims, right? And I'm just aware of this from living. Sure. I haven't played Sims and I haven't played Oculus, but I did end up buying something similar to Oculus. So, so for those that don't know, it's a, um, a piece of headgear that you put around your eyes. And as you move your head, you're able to see a 3D environment, just like you're looking around your room or your car, wherever you are listening to us have this conversation right now. So the, the 3D headset, basically. And I feel like what you're explaining is perhaps a combination of, you know, what you can do with a Sims character, which is a virtual environment where you can be a, a version of yourself. Yes. And then a 3D environment where you can have some degree of physical interaction with the virtual environment. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. You're absolutely so, right. So, so okay. what happens is today, if you have kids, you can go to something called Roblox, which is yep, sort of where you can exactly. do like sim-like thing, right? Yeah, so that. right now you can use Roblox uh, and tens of millions of people do that, mm -hmm. right? Sure. Or you can go and borrow some or you can, you know, find a way to get someone who happens to have an Oculus Quest to, right? right? Which right now is the best available sort of virtual reality, easily available, which is, yeah. it's, it's expensive. It's, it's $299, right? But you put it on and you can actually feel that you're in particular places. Yeah. And you can then imagine in X number of years, how much better the technology will be, sure, sure. right? Uh, so, and, and the whole idea is if you think about human beings, and you think about all, all of what technology has allowed us to do, which is like I remind people, is technology gives human beings godlike power. Okay. Okay. So if you think about what you can do today with your phone, your smartphone, right? It's not even a phone. It's a mobile device, right? What you can do. And if you described to 20 years ago yourself what you do with your phone, <laughs> you could, you know, like, hey, by the way, I can navigate you know, all over, it's a navigation thing. I have all the music in the world accessible to me. I can watch videos from all over the place. I can talk for free to anybody I want. I can create content. If you said that to somebody 20 years ago, yourself, you know what yourself would say to you? Two things. One is it basically say, you know, Ramses, oh my God, you've gone insane. <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah. Or the other one is anybody who has that in their pocket has got like power. Sure, exactly. Because they can span time and space and all kinds of things, right? And, and in effect, what's basically happening is these new technologies are taking it to another level. They're mm. basically saying they can be many of us, uh, which, is, which is one of the things. And we will have more ownership and control. So there's a long curve to more going to the individual than you know, the establishment mm -hmm. and which is why this is particularly sort of good uh, is what I basically believe because it empowers human beings. Wonderful. Now, where I wanted to go with this is, you know, some people believe that when it comes to Web3, 
tokens, wallets, et cetera, the opportunities and use cases are restricted to the online only spaces. However, your letter highlights that really we can be thinking about tokens and wallets as the future of currency, of status, uh, relationship management. Can you share more about the real world applications that are happening now and provide us a bit more insight on you know, what you predict is coming our way? Yes. Yeah, so here are some you know, early, what I call real world applications. Um, and it's today in what I call between two and three. So, so I think about it as a web 2.5, right? Okay. Uh, but as they scale, they'll turn web three because then it requires certain underlying new technologies like the blockchain, but right now they don't necessarily require that. But uh, many of you all may have seen a television show uh, called It's Always uh, Sunny in Philadelphia. Love that show. Okay. Uh, and so the gentleman who also makes that show makes an amazing show on Apple TV called Mythic Quest. His name is Rob McClaney. And what he basically has decided, he says, hey, you know, there are lots and lots of creative people in the world, but many of them have to either be in LA and I don't discover them all. So how do I find ways to discover new creative people and get them into my writer's room? Because he creates these shows. Mm -hmm. So he basically has created this idea where what happens is first he talks to 500, he basically asks a very simple question, what character in a show has most appealed to you and why to many writers? Mm -hmm. he, then they select different writers and then they put them into a writer's room with 25 writers in each writer's room, right? No. But what's particularly interesting is now all of a sudden, each of the writers as they write stuff, what they do, they eventually own. He actually puts their stuff in code and they own. So hmm. now all of a sudden, what their content, as it becomes more popular, they own. And eventually what will happen is, you know, you as a fan can own one of their characters or have some stake in the character. Yeah. So he says, you know, today he's doing a web 2.5 to get there, but as he scales it, this the tokenization will basically happen. That's sort of one in a simple way. Okay. The other is, which is somewhat more infamous, is a, a thing called Board Ape Yacht Club where initially you bought these tokens, which basically is the face of an ape, a different ape, you know, yeah. uh, uh, sort of a nautical, uh, in, in sort of a monkey in a thing. And, and that uh, is a, a piece of art, but it also has the ability to unlock things. So in New York, I think 10, two, two weeks ago, there was NFT New York. So if you had one of these tokens, it let you into clubs. Right. right. It lets you into all kinds of things. So just think about these as it, it spans both the real and the virtual world to the thing that you're talking about. It right. gives you status and it gives you membership. But in the end, it allows people to create and monetize and share. Right. Without requiring big financial companies and big everything else. OK, wonderful. Now, we, we spoke a little bit about the Web3 ideology, but one of the key elements of the Web3 ideology was it's designed to give individuals their own property rights and provide them with the opportunity to purchase their own piece of the internet to retain ownership of. So let's talk about why that was such an important component to include and why, it, why someone might want their own piece of the internet. Right. So it, it's less the own piece of the internet, but what they basically have is 
they happen to have rights over their intellectual capital or over things that they either create or help promote. So the big difference is this, which is, as I basically mentioned, just imagine if the way you logged in to Facebook, right, was not through a Facebook login, but through what I call a wallet. So one of the key things that I have to do with this tokens is that you keep them in a wallet. And today, in many places, you actually log in with this wallet. And so what the wallet basically is, is it is a, it only allow, it basically says, okay, I'm your Facebook. This is who I am. But then it basically says, Facebook, if you want me to do certain things, you have to pay me. Mm. Right. And, and, and to a certain extent, hey, if you want me to, if you want more of my data, you have to pay me in, you know, micro currencies. So what basically happens is you also own yourself. Today on the internet, you don't own yourself. Just think about it. All Literally, I tell people, think of all the time and all the content and all the data and attention you've given a social network. Wow. And what have you got in return? Okay, yes, you've got some connections and some likes, but these people are making billions of dollars, but it's your content, your data, your network. Sure. Now imagine if you had a stake in that, right? Imagine... Just, just think about, you know, so, you know, Lil Nas, one of the things is, look, my fans make me famous. So why can't my fans benefit from me? Mm. Right? So his whole stuff is, hey, I'm going to write my next song. Uh, and I'm going to give you a 50%. He basically says 50% of the streaming rights of my next song would be for my fans. But obviously, you buy into it. So you pay in advance a little bit of course, uh, and you can buy little slivers of it. And he says, if you buy enough of it, I'll invite you to the concert. If you buy enough of it, I'll actually have dinner with you or whatever, or drink with you. So he basically says, you know, I want to benefit those people. Now that he basically says to the people, he says, all right, now each of y'all who have one, one of these things, uh, these tokens have, will decide and will help me decide what the next song is. So he says, here are my next three songs. Which one should I publish? Because you own parts of it. Okay. Then when he publishes it, he tells everybody. And of course, they basically like it because they've selected it. They tell all their friends and it becomes a big hit. Right. Right. So now they feel a sense of ownership in what they've helped create because, yes, the creative artist has created. So they have a stake in it. But a creative artist is nothing without their fans. Sure. Sure. So that's what this is about. I love it. This concludes part one of our two-part interview with Mr. Rashad Tabakawala. Join us tomorrow for part two of our discussion with the acclaimed author, speaker, teacher, and advisor as we discuss his latest thought letter entitled The Future of the Internet, as well as what we need to know about this new age of the internet and why it matters. This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show was produced by Chris Thompson. Have some thoughts you'd like to share? Use the red microphone talkback feature on the iHeartRadio app. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe and download all of our episodes. I am your host, Ramses Ja, on all social media. Join us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice from our perspective, right here on the Black Information Network Daily Podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are. 
and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.